Women Taking the Lead, Episode 93. Adulthood has its privileges. And I think chief among those privileges is being able to say no to the things you don't want to do and yes to the things that you do. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to get the solutions to your top five leadership challenges. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Felicia Knight, who is president of the Knight Candy Group, a strategic consultancy based in Portland, Maine. Previously, Felicia worked in Washington, D.C., where for five years she served as director of communications for the National Endowment for the Arts and for the prior five years as director of communications for the United States Senator Susan M. Collins of Maine. Before that, Felicia Knight enjoyed a 20-year career as an award-winning broadcast journalist in Maine. Felicia, I am very honored to have you on Women Taking the Lead, and I know that's only a little intro about you. It's just such a small part of your world. So tell us more about you and your own beginnings. Well, thank you for inviting me to be on, Jody. Um, my own beginnings are, um, I guess in your words, humble. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up on a produce farm in coastal Maine. Uh, my dad was a retired 30-year Navy veteran, and my mom, for the most part, stayed at home. She did have uh, various jobs over the years. Um, at different times, she worked as a secretary in a hardware store, uh, a hostess in a local restaurant. Uh, for a while, she operated her own yarn shop. Um, un unfortunately, I did not inherit her talent, but my mother was just amazing with a pair of knitting needles and a crochet hook, <laughs> uh, enough so that she could teach others and she opened her own store. Um, wow. I just never quite had her knack. Um, and then later when I was in high school, um, she had the position, uh, it she was kind of famous along the main coast as a marine telephone operator. Um, she had a, a, a following among the uh, summer yachters and the fishermen and all. And I actually did that myself for a part-time job while I was in high school. But um, we did not have a lot of money when I was growing up. Um, my parents were, however, really hardworking people industrious. And um, after he left active duty with the, the Navy, my dad, uh, over many years, nine years actually, held down numerous jobs and went to college to uh, get his uh, teaching degree. He had a number of blue-collar jobs, um, oil burner repairman, um, plumber, well driller. Um, and as I said, it took him nine years, but eventually he graduated from the University of Maine with a degree in elementary education. And for the last 20 years of his working career, he was a third grade teacher. So, um, you know, we were a very modest middle class family and uh, not, you know, not a lot of money there, not a lot of uh, uh, country club dinners or anything like that. But uh, just a, a wonderful, wonderful childhood, I thought. It sounds amazing. And your parents, my goodness, I'd love to sit next to them at a dinner party and, and ask them questions about their life. They sound wonderful. Well, it's even more interesting considering they were married for 53 years before my mother died, but they got married the day after they met. What? Yep. 
(laughs) I'm not not making it up. It is the best story. And of course, my mother, uh, a very small, petite, but ridiculously strong Italian woman used to say to me, you pull anything like that, I will break your legs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I I love to get coffee with you sometime and hear the whole story. That sounds crazy incredible. Well, Felicia, you've definitely had success in your life. My goodness, your resume is outstanding. Um, Coming from humble beginnings to to be where you are now, and you've definitely gained confidence. But take us back to a time when you were playing small, and you may not have realized you were undervaluing yourself at the time. Share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. Well, you know, let me preface this by saying Confidence is um, an issue not only for women, but for for many, many adults who um, it takes a long time to figure out who you are and what you have that is valuable to give to others. And, uh, you know, there are many moments like that along the way and many moments as a as a woman coming up in a predominantly male uh, profession. Um, and, and I will also say that it was actually men who gave me most of my big early breaks. But, you know, that's not to say that there weren't still difficulties being a woman in uh, a male-dominated industry. I started in broadcasting in the 1970s, and that was really <laughs> the purview of men back then. Um, but it was a man who first hired me. It was a man who saw potential for me to do more than what I was hired for. It was men who promoted me and and even mentored me. Uh, But that said, I I remember once finding out that a new guy who had been hired was earning a lot more money than I was. And we were doing the same job, yet I'd been there for two years, and he was just hired. And I found this out, and I made a beeline for my supervisor to ask why (laughs) are you paying him so much more than you're paying me? And this was probably around 1980. And my supervisor said, well, he has a family to support and you don't. Oh. (laughs) Now, I was very young at the time and I was living paycheck to paycheck and I was not thinking in terms of career or making inroads or, uh, you know, paving the way for anyone. I was just thinking in terms of a job. Um, But I remember thinking, that just doesn't seem fair. (laughs) But I will also say it never occurred to me to make an issue of it and to take it any further than that. I had mustered all my courage to ask the question and I figured, okay, asked and answered. Now, I guess that's a good example of undervaluing myself, but many years later, I very publicly raised the issue of fairness regarding how a supervisor was treating his entire staff, not just the women on the staff. It didn't really have anything to do with gender equality. He was just a a poor manager and he treated people poorly and he lied to people and he played them one against the other. But but I I did expose his behavior to his boss and an investigation was conducted and um, ultimately he was fired. I got to say that was a, a terrifying, draining and exhausting experience that I... I didn't enter into lightly, and maybe if I if I'd known everything that was involved, I might not have done it. But I am glad I did, and I think that maybe a lesson in that uh, is to kind of trust your gut. And if st- something 
feels wrong. It probably is wrong. Um, and I say that, though, knowing that it can still be a very difficult thing to do because no one knows the future. Right. Right. It can be really hard to speak up when you're not really sure. Right. And and you can you can easily think way down the road for all the ramifications, which is sometimes a very good thing, especially in business. You, know, you don't want to fly off the handle and you don't want to say things you'll regret and you don't want to burn bridges. But there is a way to uh, consider all of the facts and assess the rightness and wrongness of a situation and decide whether or not to go forward. And if that has to do with your own personal value, great, or the value of others or um, however you want to look at it. If you feel that action needs to be taken, then maybe action does need to be taken. Mm-hmm. And what I found is, you know, if a situation is making you really unhappy, mm-hmm. right? And, pe- and people know, you know, when you, when you start questioning them and, you know, you say, well, are you, speak up about it, say something about it. And they're like, there's nothing I can do. But right. you can see it in their face. They're so unhappy. Mm-hmm. Normally, those are the situations where they should be speaking up or say, saying something. Yes. And every situation is different. And mm-hmm. uh, people know their own situation best. And, uh, you know, someone who, for instance, may be living paycheck to paycheck understands that if I push too many buttons, I could lose this job and I don't have one to go to. So I need to mm-hmm consider my options. But at the same time, sometimes you can be so deeply buried in a situation that you really can't see all the different pros and cons and angles. And if you can't speak to the person who's making you miserable, maybe you can speak to someone else and get advice and help. And and having the confidence to step outside of your own fears can be a, a good first step. That's great advice, Felicia, too. I'm really glad you said that because it may not be that you're the crusader who's going to change everything, but what can you do? Who, what can you say and who can you say it to, to make you, you know, at least get back some of your power in the situation and you might not be the one leading the charge, but you might be able to get a ball rolling. Exactly. That's huge. All right, Felicia, now share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake-up call. Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps you took that led to your success. I heard you giggle, so I'm really looking forward to this. Well, first of all, you have to understand how how much I don't like to wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Not a morning person? I do every morning at 5.30. (laughs) Most mornings haul myself to the gym, and I don't like it. I keep waiting for that moment where where I'm going to like it, but I don't. Um, But to, to answer your question more directly, I don't know that I've had a single moment of waking up. Um, but I will say that sometime in my early 40s, I and I know this is going to sound um, funny to anyone who hasn't reached that point yet. And if you're a young adult, you truly may not have reached this point yet. But it was sometime in my early 40s, I realized I am a bona fide adult. <laughs> <laughs> adulthood has its privileges. Uh And I think chief among those privileges is being able to say no to the things you don't want to do and yes to the things that you do. Now, this is an oversimplification. It's, uh, for instance, you know, if the boss says, I, you know, I need you to do this, 
you're not necessarily going to stand up and say no. Uh, you're you're not going to go all I would prefer not to on him. It's the Herman Melville story. Uh, Bartleby mm-hmm. the Scrivener, right? I would yes. prefer not to. Um, but you want at some point to be able to say no. I don't want to work here anymore. Yes, I want to make a career change. No, I don't want to put up with bad behavior. Yes, I do want to do what makes me happy. And you want to finally reach that point in your life that you've been expecting all your life, which is that point when you get to make the decisions. Right. And it kind of maybe goes back to trusting your gut, the the lesson from undervaluing yourself. But you ha- also have to understand that once you reach that point and realize that I can make decisions, then you are concerned with the responsibility of those decisions. And it doesn't get a whole lot easier because you're making the decisions, but you're, you're in more control. You can't blame anybody else. You can't say, oh, the teacher said we had to do this or, oh, my boss whom I hate made me do this. You're making the decisions and you're in control. And taking control is often a little apprehensive, a little scary, but it's also liberating. You know, my mind is going in so many different directions right now. I'm so glad you brought this up um, for a couple of different reasons. Um, During my workout this morning, I had that thought. You know, of, you know, I'm in my early 40s. And yes, I've gotten to I was thinking of putting some quotes on my wall and changing some of the language to have woman in it. And not just because, you know, for for gender reasons and women and women's empowerment and all that, that that's important, too. But to remind myself, I am a woman (laughs) because I realize I am. But there are moments where I'm, I'm, I don't kid you, Felicia, where I realized I, I was relating to myself like a little girl mm-hmm. in a moment, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't realize the power I had to say no in a situation or to speak up for myself right. in a situation. I was just going along with what the quote unquote experts or authorities were saying and just kind of riding that tide of, oh, well, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I also started giggling because you reminded me of um, when I was interviewing my niece, Vanessa, for the episode that came out right before the new year. I, she's she's five. And the theme <laughs> of her interview was, I want to grow up mm-hmm. so I can do what I want to do. <laughs> and it's so funny how like for her at five years old, she's so clear about the adult, she hasn't quite caught on to the responsibility part of it yet. That will come. But that is so important to realize, like, as long as you can face the consequences of your yes and your no, by all means, go ahead and say it because you're an adult now and you can. Right, right. And you you have this life of anticipation for that moment when you're able to take control of your life. And then careful what you wish for. Right. (laughs) Because once you do you're responsible. And I I actually had a conversation with my brother the other day. Um, You know, we're all getting older and our dad is just turned 90. And uh, 
I looked at my brother, Bob. I said, you know, sometimes I just miss my childhood (laughs) (laughs) because everyone took care of you. No responsibility. Uh, But, you know, adulthood has its upsides. Definitely. Absolutely. I, you know, there are sometimes I miss, you know, being able to the, the freedom of childhood where, yes. you know, so many things were not weighing on your mind. And you had like, sometimes I, I feel like my life is a, a deck of cards that I built up and I'm <laughs> afraid like a strong wind is going to blow it over. And I remember as child, as a child, figuratively, you know, you only had the first level or two right. built up. So a strong wind wasn't going to knock it over. But yeah, it, it is really important to know exactly what you what you can take responsibility for what you're willing to take responsibility for and can you live with the consequences of your decision and I found that you know and I love how you emphasize like it's getting to know what that is for you Mm -hmm. you know what that responsibility is because when you are more clear on what you can and cannot live with you can make those decisions so for example my father's somebody who he's an introvert and you know, he's he's loving in relationships, but he has no problem saying, no, I'm not going to get together with everyone this week. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it. Right. <laughs> and he can live, but he can live with it. Right. Right. It suits him and he can live with it. He knows himself well enough that that's not going to wake him up in the m- middle of the night feeling bad. Right. But for my mom, that probably would. So it's it's things like that, getting to know what you can and cannot live with, what your values are, so then you can give a clear yes or no or whatever it is you need to say or do in the moment. But those are the privileges of adulthood. That's really great. And Felicia, what I want everyone to get is there is no one way to lead. We are all going to lead differently, and that is a good thing. So how would you describe your leadership style? Okay. Do I have an actual leadership style? Well, um, (laughs) you'd probably have to ask those whom I have led. (laughs) Um, But I would say that I I hope that I listen to people and I hope that I treat people with respect. Um, I think it's important to try to understand other points of views. And I have been micromanaged before and I didn't like it. So I try very hard not to micromanage others. Um, but it really did take me a while to learn to delegate, but I got to tell you, once I did, my life changed. Um, it's just getting to that point where you have, you can trust that other people can do what you're asking them to do. And I, I do admit to a low tolerance for a lack of attention to detail and things like missed deadlines, but I really do try to be encouraging because I've I've also worked in environments where managers believe that the best way to motivate people is through fear and intimidation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't find that productive. I I think that you know constant haranguing and badgering and no respect for private time is really not the way to go. And I, I worked at a place once where a coworker had taped up one of those signs that said the beatings will continue until morale improves, <laughs> and you know very dark humor. We all got a charge out Mm -hmm. of it, but it was sadly true. Um, Uh. And that's the kind of thing that can be successful in the short term. And I think that's where a lot of managers and leaders go wrong um, because they uh, do get some results in the short term. But if you want people to stick around and you want people to grow and feel like they want to help you succeed, that's not the way to go, I, I don't think. 
I think a good leader knows how to be in charge, but also knows how to mentor and maybe even the really good ones know how to inspire. Yes. And, you know, that for me, that that's the ultimate top level of leadership when you're so in tuned with other people. Mm-hmm. that you and you inspire them to a greater vision and it's so funny what you what you're saying because i think personally as someone who coaches people around leadership i think some of the greatest or most impactful guidance we get around who we want to be as a leader or boss is by our bad experiences the ones where we mm-hmm. say i will never do that to people right. i will not right. be that person and that guides us to go in the other direction because we're so clear about who we don't want to be that we start working towards and building up our skills to to be not that i mean it sounds negative but mm-hmm. it actually inspires us to like in in your case to be more in tune with people to mentor them to be a resource to them um and i would say probably one of the things that makes you great at delegating is you um seem like you have the patience to train somebody <laughs> <laughs> and i could be could be way off <laughs> it's so kind of you to say that uh, <laughs> i it, I will make a full confession here that I only truly learned to delegate because I was finally put in charge of so many people that there was no way that, that uh, I could basically do it myself. It um, mm-hmm. And and it, I had to realize that at the level at which I was working by then, these people aren't beginners. These people are here doing the job that they're doing for a reason. It's because they're good at what they do. So... Um, that in itself was uh, reason enough to just relax and let go and realize that each person there had a position and had a job to do in an area of expertise. And it was up to me also to let them do it. Mm, that is, and you know, that's a skill so many people struggle with. Mm-hmm. So in, in in a way, it was a blessing that you were in an environment where you were forced to yes. do it and do it well. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh-oh. You had to get good at it. <laughs> and and the other thing that that gives you the opportunity to do, which is uh, surprisingly fun and feels good, which is to give other people credit for their good work and good ideas. And if someone else is working hard to make your department look good or make you look good, then for heaven's sake, acknowledge it and they'll keep doing it. And Felicia, what is one thing that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? <sighs> We have a number of things that we're doing that we really enjoy. Um, I would say one of the things that's exciting, it's exciting for us to work on it, and it's exciting for the city of Portland, is uh, there's a new enterprise in town that opened up late last summer called the Portland Science Center. And we handle the media and public relations for them. And it's there's no venue like it in the state of Maine. And we're very excited. They've come to Portland. They're right in the old port. So uh, very popular, lots of people going in and out. And it's a, it's a science museum, basically. And their opening exhibit was Body Worlds, Gunther von Higgins Body Worlds, which is the most, um, I think, the most well-attended museum exhibit in the world. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they brought it to Portland, Maine. And um, that has since closed, but they're going to open up in another couple of weeks with Space, um, which is an exhibit that was partially curated by NASA, and uh, something called Robot Suit, which is uh, going to be very exciting for younger 
kids to go through. So I, I really like working on that. I like that they brought something new to the state of Maine. Uh, I like that it has an educational component and it brings even more people uh, into the, the old port area. And it's exciting all the way around. Oh, you've already given me ideas to be emailing family like, hey, <laughs> this exhibit's coming. You yes. should come visit me. Yes. <laughs> There are so many things in Maine that I can float to family as a lure, like come visit me, come, mm -hmm. come close. And, and that must be incredibly fun and exciting to have a hand in promoting a lot of the great things that are going on in Maine and in the Portland area. It is. And we do a lot of different kinds of things. So I don't, I don't think we ever get bored with what we're doing. We, um, work. Uh, we had been working also with the American Academy of Arts and Sciences down in Cambridge, Massachusetts, working on higher education policy. And uh, we worked with the uh, New England Cancer uh, Program for a while. It's We're kind of all over the map, literally and figuratively. Right. Very diverse and geographically spread out, too. Yes. Yes. Which is really great. And that, that's what's so great about technology these days and online communications is that you don't have to be, you're not location um, rooted, exactly. I guess. Exactly, right. We've had clients all over the country, actually some internationally. Um, we had done work with Cirque du Soleil a number of times, an arts organization in Minneapolis that was bringing um, uh, tours of Middle Eastern artists throughout the country. So we're... We're very diverse. <laughs> very exciting. All right, Felicia, now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, mm -hmm. what is one practice that you have that helps to make you a better leader? I think I'd have to return to a couple of things that I've mentioned already. Listening, especially. Uh, trying to see things from someone else's point of view, especially if you're encountering any kind of disagreement, whether it's with a client or within staff. Um, you know, I think sometimes how passionately I may feel about an issue or an approach, and I have to understand that this person who disagrees with me feels equally passionately. So we need to find some common ground here and go from there. Um, so I think I think listening and, and, and that uh, realm is very important. And also, as I mentioned, crediting people with good work and good ideas. Yeah, such a boost mm -hmm. to other people. Love, love that. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? Well, this may seem like an unlikely title because it's not a self-help book or a how-to book or a business book. Uh, the book mm -hmm. is Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And this is the story of Abraham Lincoln's presidency, and it's a life lesson in everything from office politics to team psychology. You know, I read the book Lincoln on Leadership, and they they did some of that in, in that book, too. I cannot remember the author. It's killing me. But what a fascinating man mm -hmm. and in terms of – go ahead. He, he definitely uh, took to heart the – point of view that one person and one party does not have a corner on the market of good ideas. And he uh, peopled his cabinet with people who were his rivals. And uh, with the exception of one of them, they all grew to admire and love and trust and respect him. 
Such a great story. Mm-hmm. And Felicia, what advice would you give your younger self? Mm. I would tell myself to pay attention. Life goes by so quickly and the average life is made up of many, many, many small moments, not the big ones. Uh, I mean, you're going to remember your wedding day or your high school graduation or your college graduation, but pay attention during that camping trip or that ordinary family dinner and appreciate what's right in front of you. Oh, and start a retirement fund. (laughs) (laughs) Sage advice, both points. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. That that part about life going by quickly really hits home when you realize, oh my God, I actually am going to have to retire at some point. (laughs) I have to think about this. Yes. And it's easier to pay attention when you're not stressed out. (laughs) Yes, Yes, it is. It really is. All right, Felicia, share with us a success quote or a mantra that you have and why it has meaning for you. Well, um, it's sort of two things that I I really try to keep in mind. One, I, I do try to keep in mind. The other just comes naturally to me. And the first one is treat others the way you want to be treated. And there are times when that flies right out the window and you, it really never works in your favor to bully someone or harangue them or be mean or be spiteful, even though you're so tempted and it would feel so good at the moment. Um, And the other one is never lose your sense of humor. And I can't tell you how important that is in getting through life. When my husband met the rest of my family, he said, I feel like I just walked into a sitcom (laughs) because that's just the way we roll even in the the darkest moments, and I'm not saying to be irreverent or to dismiss the seriousness of any situation, but if you don't have your sense of humor, it's going to be a long, awful life. So I would say that those two are really important. And I, I remember early on in my adult life, in my working life, um, I'm talking about how to treat other people. I I so wanted to be perceived as strong and confident, and I think that I really confused being strong and confident with being uh, in, almost intransigent and impossibly demanding. And I remember in my very first management position, and I was relatively young, my boss took me aside, and he was really one of my wonderful male mentors, actually. And he said to me that, he said, you hold people to an impossibly high standard. And I remember, I don't know what precipitated it. I'm sure he heard me mouth off to somebody or snap at somebody. And he called me in his office and he said that, you know, he said that to me. And I said to him, well, you know, I expect people to do their jobs. Is that so terrible? And he explained that, no, that was fine. But I really had to understand that most of the people I was supervising there were entry-level people. And he said, he said, you know, they're still green. They're still learning. And it's really up to you to help them learn. And he said, no matter how far up the ladder you go and no matter how accomplished the people around you are, everyone, including you, should always be learning. So have fun with that and treat people 
a little more kindly. And I was really pretty lucky that someone took me aside and said that to me at so young an age, because I probably could have just continued on (laughs) masking what I'm sure was insecurity with what I mistakenly thought was strength. What a blessing Mm -hmm. to get that. That is so great. And lastly, Felicia, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? I would say probably um, uh, try LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Felicia K. Knight, and you can look me up on LinkedIn. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have your LinkedIn link. So, and for those listening, you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com, or you can use the short link, which is womentl.com. And Felicia, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Oh, you're very kind. Thanks, Jody. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Were you inspired to take some action today, but maybe don't know where to start? Or maybe you have so many great ideas, you can't decide where to focus your attention. Don't let stress or overwhelm stop you from having the career, the business, or the life you want to live. Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash coaching, or use the short link womentl.com forward slash coaching to sign up for a consultation with me. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.